Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're going to talk about the MacBook Pro AirPods 3. Got some news about the iMac and we'll touch on Meta. You know, we got to mention that too. This episode is brought to you by Bespoke Post, Truebill, Prisoner Wine, and ExpressVPN. You'll hear about those in a moment. And joining me, a convert to the Mac ecosystem. Maybe that's a little too soon to say, but Wes Hilliard has joined me. What's going on, Wes? Well, Stephen, it'll surprise you to know that I'm still podcasting from an iPad today. So even with this MacBook sitting right in front of me. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, the last time I was on the show was two weeks ago because last week, William Gallagher and Mike Worthley graciously filled in. And so they did an awesome job. Thank you guys for doing that. The last episode I recorded before that, I was in the mountains, actually near you, Wes. I was in Western North Carolina and uh, I was recording under a blanket. I forgot to take a picture, but to try and get some decent sound in the cabin I was in, I actually put a blanket over my recording setup. It was very warm under there, but I think it turned out all right. And it was nice seeing the mountains in the background. You guys have fall up there, which is nice. We don't get that in Florida. Yeah, it's it's actually nice and chilly here. I'm I'm enjoying our weather right now. It's uh, it's great. Uh, You know, you say you record under a blanket. I've never gone through any of these at crazy de- like climbing in a closet or going under a blanket i just talking to my microphone i don't know if the audience ever notices but i'm in a wood panel room so <laughs> i i'm sure there's some echo uh i have some padding on the wall i've tried to hang some stuff up to prevent any uh too much reverb but yeah i, I don't know maybe it's the microphone i'm using or whatever but uh, if you have those really sensitive ones i guess you you do need to have several layers of padding around you yeah i mean and it depends you know carpet helps too and you know just whatever you have in the room can soak up sound but no you always sound good so it's you know it's, uh, it's all good well we're gonna spend a lot of time on the new macbook pro and airpods 3 i have some thoughts on that as well but want to hit just some quick news here at the top the 21 and a half inch intel imac has gone into the afterlife it is no longer available apple has discontinued the 21.5 inch imac in favor of course for the new m1 24 inch imac and the intel 27 inch is still around but as we'll say in a moment, that is probably not long for this world either come early next year with an Apple Silicon iMac. The only thing I wanted to say was the 21 and a half inch iMac served me well for a lot of years. I think I had the 2015 model. I swapped out an SSD because it still came with like that terrible spinning hard drive for the longest time. But, you know, it's good that we have the 24 inch now. I actually set up a couple 24 inch M1 iMacs for work. And those things are very nice. I just want to say they are super light, super fast, and it's a great option, at least for like an entry-level iMac option. So yeah, 21 and a half inch, it's gone. I got to see the 24-inch iMac in person for the first time the other day. I went to an Apple store a couple hours from me. Yeah, they're they're really nice computers. Uh, definitely liking that blue. I, I mean, I barely already have one Mac. I, I don't need four, so it's... Uh... <laughs> tempting to have to look at because it's pretty but that's about as far as it'll go (laughs) yeah now the rumor about imax coming in 2022 this is from leaker dylan dkt who has had pretty good record in the last year or so but he sent out a tweet saying the imac pro is going to come back early 2022 basically just in a few months and that this imac pro is going to have pro motion and a mini led screen which Seems like it would fall in line. We have the 12.9 inch iPad Pro with mini LED ProMotion. Now we have MacBook Pros with ProMotion mini LED. So it would make sense that it would come to the iMac line next. You know, base model, 16 gig RAM, 512 storage, M1 Pro and M1 Max. Against all this makes sense. The interesting part would be 
ports. So like what ports are going to be on this new iMac Pro or whatever the next high-end iMac is. Dylan DKT was saying that it's going to have an SD card slot, USB-C obviously, Thunderbolt, and an HDMI port. Now, of all the ports on the new MacBook Pro, which again, we'll talk about in a little bit, the HDMI port is kind of the most head scratching for me. Obviously, people who work in like corporate environments and have projectors they need to connect their computer to to do like a PowerPoint presentation. I'm sure the HDMI would be useful, but HDMI has, as far as I can recall, never been on an iMac. And so I am not inclined to believe that the new iMac would have an HDMI port, but that's just me. And so Dylan's just kind of giving us a little preview there. Yeah, there's no way there's an HDMI port on yeah. that iMac. Like that's no that's nuts. I mean, yeah. e- even even then, uh, just look at the ports. The USB C uh, is pretty uh, short itself. HDMI is a little longer. The, these cases are not very thick. And I know the iMac Pro, whatever it is, probably isn't going to be the same thickness as the 24 inch iMac. But Apple's going to want to play that slim game for sure. They're going to show off and say, "Look what we were able to do uh, with our computer because of our Apple Silicon." They're not going to make it that much thicker, if at all. So definitely interesting to keep an eye on. You know, the iMac Pro is a really weird thing in Apple's lineup, right? Because they only ever came out with one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it reminds me of the trash can, actually. It's uh, almost like an ill-conceived, like, oops, we shouldn't have done that kind of like of uh, a Mac debut for Apple. And um, it'll be weird to me, honestly, to see the iMac Pro name come back. Why not just call it the 30-inch iMac or whatever uh, and and move on, but we'll see. Yeah, and I, I'm not even inclined to think it will be called iMac Pro. They might just call it 30-inch iMac, which I do think the screen size will increase with decreasing bezels, but we'll see. It's going to come soon, and that's really the one I am waiting for, which we'll talk about once we get to the MacBook Pro section. But anyway, iMac Pro rumors, early 2022. Did want to mention that HomePod Mini Colors, which were announced at the last Apple event, are now available to buy. You can buy it online and they're available in store. I actually went to the Apple store for trade-in reasons and I actually saw the colored HomePod minis in person. You know, you got the red, the orange, and the blue. They look pretty cool. I did not pick one up just yet. One, I just, I don't know where I would put another HomePod mini right now. And I don't know what color I would go with. I mean, the yellow is attractive. I've seen that in a lot of posts. The blue is a pretty like muted blue. So if you want something that's Still kind of a neutral color, but adds just a little bit. Uh, the blue one is interesting. But if you want to check them out, they are in the store and they actually have them set up on several tables where you can actually just see the actual HomePod, not just in the box. It's yellow, orange, and blue. You said red, but uh, oh. yeah, I, would, I would love a red HomePod. Product, a product red HomePod would be really cool. You know, that's it. Yeah, I totally didn't get it. So it's yellow, orange, and blue. And I guess in some of the pictures that I have seen, it looks reddish. Uh, maybe it's just saturation. The orange looks really, yeah, like it depends on the saturation you're looking at. But yeah, it's a very deep orange. Yeah, yeah. But go see them. Go check them out. They're in the stores. And finally, before we get to AirPods 3 and the MacBook Pro, I feel like we need to mention Facebook's rebranding. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, they did this big presentation about how they have rebranded their parent company. So they are no longer... Facebook as the umbrella corporation, obviously Facebook still exists as the app and the service, but they have now become Meta, M-E-T-A, with an interesting like infinity in an M-shaped thing. And yeah, they are now Meta, one, to kind of separate the negative connotation that Facebook has in so many people's minds. And it's their focus on VR, AR, and the future and the metaverse, as you would say. It's Facebook. You know, it's still Facebook. It's still Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) 
(laughs) They're still doing all the Facebook things. The thing that I found most interesting was there are actually other companies called Meta. Apparently, they did try to contact one company, which is Meta Company. The founder is Nate Skulik. And in an article that John Gruber put on Daring Fireball, it talked about that apparently Facebook did reach out to this company, didn't say they were Facebook. They were talking about, you know, naming and how much do you want for the brand or whatever. And when the price was set, Facebook said, well, never mind. And then they just never heard from Facebook again. And Facebook just called Meta. And so there's, I think, a court case going to be happening for that brand. And then also there's another company, Meta Inc., which is founded by Andrew Wilkinson. It's a tiny capital. They have a bunch of apps and services. I know of them because MetaLab, one of their subsidiaries, makes a project management platform called Flow. And so I was familiar with this company as well, but Facebook just seemed to kind of like totally steamroll and just say like, eh, forget all these other little meta companies. Well, little compared to Facebook. They just named their thing meta and just, I don't know what else to say about it. It's still Facebook. (laughs) What do you think, Wes? I don't even know if this is to try and like save face because pun intended. Sorry. <laughs> you said save face. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, no. So this is, this isn't like alphabet and Google where when Google split off its company into alphabet and then started with it, it's alphabetical naming conventions for all of its, uh, smaller assets and everything to try and basically hide all of its losses. Uh, Google people forget this, but Google had a lot of failing experiments and bad, investments and stuff so they just said you know what we're alphabet now and it's really hard for you to tell how much money we're losing when there's 30 companies underneath us (laughs) Uh, this isn't quite the same thing it seems to be like you said like facebook's trying to make itself look better you know people will buy a meta rift vr headset rather than a facebook rift or whatever they're already making weird decisions it seems like they're they're trying to spread the skeletons around rather than put them all in one hole (laughs) right i saw an announcement the other day that seemed really cool at first uh facebook gives up facial recognition i'm sure everyone saw this it's they're deleting their millions of data sets and all this stuff and you can go immediately to facebook and opt out of ever being a part of it blah 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 all seems legitimate because you know there's a lot of conversations in china Taiwan and stuff where this stuff's getting really scary uh, and Facebook wanted to back away from it. And then immediately the day a day later, Meta says, we're going to continue using all the same data sets. It's just Facebook that's not going to use facial recognition. And it's like, wait, <laughs> yeah, you're the same company, more or less. It, it's, it's so weird. I, I don't know. Like, it's like they're trying to give Facebook good press and then absorb the, the weird blows because Meta's just this concept at the, at the moment. So please... Listeners, remember, they're the same company. They're the, it's the same person. And five years from now, when your mom tries to go and sign up for a meta account because all of your aunts are like buying Bitcoin in the metaverse, like just please stop her from doing this. It's it's going to get bad. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what they do with this new meta thing. You know, it was interesting. I think it was about a year ago in all of Facebook's apps, which if you didn't know, obviously they own Instagram. They also own WhatsApp, Oculus. In all their apps, like at the bottom, they would say, buy Facebook. So if you'd open up the Instagram app, it would say like Instagram, buy Facebook. And I think, again, to kind of separate the negative connotation the name Facebook has, now I imagine they will change that to say Instagram by Meta rather than Facebook. So, you know, some people might be like, oh, good, it's not a Facebook app anymore, but it still is. It's just Facebook changed its name. And one more thing before we get to AirPods 3, you put this in here, and I thought this was interesting because Notability, which is a 
app for the iPad, I think iPhone and Mac now. You can get it on all three platforms. But it was one of the apps that I used when I first started using Apple Pencil because you can import PDFs or you can just draw. You don't need to have a document, but you can mark things up and a really useful application for note-taking, productivity, things like that. And they transitioned to a subscription model just earlier this week, or they announced they were going to. Previously, you would buy Notability for a set price, and then you would own it forever, quote unquote. And when they announced the subscription service, they said that previous buyers of Notability would have a year free of access with all the pro features. But after that first year, they would need to sign up for a subscription. And it would be, I think, $12 a year. Yes. $12 a year is the subscription. So, you know, this is the many apps have had to make this transition. You know, I had the Halide camera app team on the podcast and they actually discussed this because they were initially just one-time purchase and they transitioned to a subscription model. Other apps like TweetBot always get heat from customers because TweetBot will release a new version and charge for it because guess what? Developers need to make money. This is like their livelihood. I think Notability, what they walked back on the previous customer thing, where if you had previously bought Notability in the past, initially they were going to say you have to subscribe after a year, but now they're saying you'll have it forever. There's two conversations in in this whole deal. One is Notability, what they did, whether their missteps and subscriptions as a whole. So first off, Notability, they changed their business model uh, to the subscription, $12 a year. And just instead of really grandfathering in their paid customers, they said, you know what, you got, I can't remember what notability costs. It's somewhere between 10 and $20, maybe 30 for the Mac app, the usual app pricing. They, they basically said, okay, existing customers, we're not really going to grandfather you in. Instead, uh, we're going to give you a year free and we're just going to count that as what you paid (laughs) for the app in the first place. And in a year you have to start subscribing or you're going to go down to the free version, which is basically you get three three different pencils, uh, one template of paper, and like limited saves and stuff like that. And there's like it's it's a very limited version of the app. And customers started, you know, kind of saying, "Hey, I paid for this. I should own it forever." Like that's kind of how like that's what I expect to work. And there was a lot of conversation about this on Twitter. You you can read my the whole thread on this. There's um, a lot of conversation there. If you can get beyond the usual hot takes, because uh, <laughs> it took me a moment to actually figure out exactly what people are upset about because it seemed at first people were just generally upset like oh no another paid subscription app which was a lot of people still sadly but they were more upset that they felt like notability was taking away their paid app that they had already purchased and my argument here is is yes notability messed up they probably shouldn't have took away so much in the first place from paid users they they should have pulled the halide and and these other apps what they've done which is basically give them the same feature set kind of i maybe maybe one or two things missing but it's it's overall the same premium feature set and then in order to get the new features subscribe and that that's what notability has shifted to now so if you were a previous notability user you get on a case-by-case basis, all of the same features that you had when you paid for the app. And as future releases come out, Notability will decide whether or not it's a subscription-only feature or not. And again, paid users will then have to decide if they're going to subscribe or just continue using the base feature set, which is now a little better than just the free version. They're getting grandfathered in a little bit better, Right. Uh, which I, I definitely applaud them for that. That's a, a good decision. Don't make all of your existing paying customers angry. Maybe incentivize them a little bit to actually pay you more money, which is the goal here anyway. Yeah. And this is tough for every app. You know, I do not envy the developers that make this decision, you know, to support ongoing app development. 
you need ongoing income and subscription services is just the way, the best way to guarantee and to project, you know, what is our income over the long term and for, for at least this year, you know, and in their latest blog post, I'll put a link to this as well. It's on medium, but they said, you know, we're a small company. We're trying to do the best we can. And so to be clear, if you had previously purchased notability, the current feature set prior to this subscription change, you'll have access to those features, lifetime access and new features. Like Wes said, Notability will decide whether or not it gets subscription only, or if you get those as the lifetime access user as well. The only thing I'll say is I think the way Notability has it here, if they would have launched it like the current situation, where if you previously purchased it, you'll have the features that you have forever, there would not have been the same outcry. There'll still be the people that just say like, subscriptions are bad. I never want to pay for a subscription. And it's like, well, you know, again, app developers are working on the app every year. So paying every year makes sense. But I do think I like when apps have the subscription option, but then also have like a lifetime purchase option that's way more expensive. There's sometimes very extravagant, like $150. And it's like, mm. <laughs> right. But I'll just subscribe. <laughs> right. Like Halide, I think the annual subscription is like $5 or something like that. Like it's, it's oh, very, it's nothing. It's yeah. very cheap for annual. Or you can pay lifetime for like $45. And that feels really good. Like, okay. I can subscribe for a few dollars a year and you could see if you use this app, if you want it, if it's useful to you. And then lifetime purchase is like 45. I think depending on the app, you know, maybe you can reach closer to 100, but it really depends. You know, Things, I like how Things does it. Things does not have a subscription currently, but their individual apps are on the expensive side when compared to other apps. I think the iOS app is like $10 or something, $15. The Mac app is like $30 to $50 or something like that. But it's worth it. And in their model, which maybe Notability could have done this also, and this is what TweetBot does. They'll say, okay, version 10, you can have that app and we'll do bug fixes. But if you want the new version, the new features, then version 11 is going to cost you $10. And you can buy it or not. Either way, your current app works just like it does. And that's it. And, you know, honestly, it's kind of how old software purchasing used to work when you would go and buy you know, version five of whatever piece of software, you know, print shop or whatever, you had version five and maybe you would get some kind of patch update or maybe not. And when the new version of print shop came out, there was no like subscription to pay. There was no like, there might be upgrade pricing, but prior to the internet, it was like, you have to go and buy another big box and version six would cost, you know, 50 or $80 or whatever. And so I think app developers can do that, but you know, listen, developers, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard being a developer. And so if there's an app, they got to eat. They got to eat. And uh, if there's apps that you really find use of that you use in work or just for fun and it's a really good app, help the developer like pay for their service because it's it's worth it. They do good work. Last thing on the notability thing and I'll I want to talk a little more on subscriptions as a whole, but yeah, th- I think this was PR wise, a bad move. They could have done this in the first place. And I think, I don't, I don't know if this was ever on the table or if they were just holding this in their cards just in case things blew up. Yeah. It, it's clear that when, when moving to a subscription or whatever, these companies need to definitely take into account their current paying user base, because uh, yeah. you make those people mad, they're going to leave. And then you've lost a significant portion of people who would have paid the subscription. You got to convince them to stick around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the other side of the coin is, is I kind of get why notability did this. I'm, it's like you said, this isn't 2002 anymore. You can't, you're not going to go to the store and buy a CD and have that work forever 
until the next version comes out. And then you could just choose to ignore that version and keep using the the old version of it. Like uh, I remember uh, for the longest time in like in my high school that uh, we had Windows 2002 and it, it was 2008, you know, so <laughs> right, exactly. it, you get one version of a thing. And it, as long as it can still install on that computer, it still works. But in the modern era, you're connected to the Internet and your operating system on your devices are getting updated and new features added. So at any point in time, your software could break or be exposed to a new critical bug or security issue. So you need constant maintenance, constant updates. And if you're not paying for that, I don't know. I don't know what you expect. Like it's yeah. like letting your house fall apart, you know, it, Oh, the leak will just go away on its own. You know, it's, you have to spend money to get the quality things. So from notability's point of view, I, I see this like, yeah, guys, you paid for this app once five years ago, 10 bucks. Uh, you, we've given you free updates over all, this entire lifespan of the app, uh, and asked for nothing, but now we're asking you for 12 bucks, please subscribe or kindly leave uh is basically their position and i totally get that because uh we shouldn't be expecting to get things for free forever and yeah. uh that that was kind of my stance on this uh when this first dropped and I, like i said as i started reading some of the uh people saying you know i should still at least be able to use some version of this app and i suggested you know turning off automatic updates and stuff and i know that's untenable you you, you have to turn off automatic updates for everything and it it falls apart so of course moving on to the higher subscription discussion i just just wanted to say i had a silly tweet it was meant to be more or less i guess sarcasm overall uh because i don't generally do just these blanket like silly statements but i said idiots on the internet will happily give apple thousands of dollars for a new iphone mac and ipad every single year and then turn around and complain when a developer asks for 12 bucks mm -hmm. uh, a year for a subscription just so they can you know feed their kids um this tweet kind of blew up because that a lot of people agreed, especially developers. I look at that like list and there are so many developers in the likes. It's it's yes. funny. But uh then there was a few people like, How dare you insult us? It's like, <laughs> sorry, man. Like if if you're if you're going to be that person, I'm going to call you an idiot. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just at the end of the day, just don't be that person. I just wanted to know like what you thought of that, Steven, uh, as far as like subscriptions go. Like, do you think people just are afraid of paying for software? Like, is there some sort of stigma there versus hardware? It's just tough because everything's a subscription from like your streaming service entertainment stuff to your productivity apps to maybe even paying for your device. You know, if you're on the iPhone upgrade plan and you're playing monthly, you know, I understand the sentiment that it feels like a lot of monthly hits, <laughs> like whether it's hitting your credit card, you're paying for Apple One bundle. So I get the aversion to subscriptions, but you know, fine. I think most people use like a few apps. You know what I mean? I don't think most people use like a mm. hundred subscription apps and those few apps that people find useful. I think, yeah, a subscription because you use that app every day or multiple times a week for work or for fun or whatever. Like, yeah, I, I think subscription model is fine and it's supporting the people doing it. Yeah. Looking at my device, I have 232 apps installed. I, and I use pretty much all of them on a regular basis. Some of them are utility apps, you know, some you only go in once a month, whatever, but it's a significant number of apps. I, I, I know I'm in the minority here. You know, most people might have a hundred apps or less or 30 apps, you know, whatever. Apple has what, 35 pre-installed? Yeah. Looking at my subscriptions, I think I have about 15, 16 paid yearly or monthly subscriptions. I, I keep this in an app where I track my expenses and it costs me $14 a month for 
all of my subscription apps total. And these are like utilities like day one, fantastic how drafts, like things that I use every single day constantly. And it's less than the cost of a Netflix subscription for all of the apps that I subscribe to. And that's not a, including, of course, like Apple One and Netflix and stuff. I consider those entertainment. They're, they're a different category. It's like paying for cable. As far as like just utility apps with subscriptions, I think it's totally doable because most of these apps are just asking for less than a dollar a month in total. I think sticker shock is a thing. Absolutely. Especially some of these apps that say $50 a year, but that's only like four bucks a month when you really get down to it. And I understand that not everyone's in the position to just throw down $50 all at once randomly. Like I, I get again, like some of the sticker shock here, but if you are a person who can pay $1,500 for an iPhone or $2,000 for a MacBook, and then that last straw, I guess, being 50 bucks for an app that you're going to use every single day it just it's a bit bewildering to me anyway yeah well i also think one of the benefits of being in the apple ecosystem is apple makes great first party apps and if you wanted to have a good note-taking app where you can use the apple pencil maybe even bring in a pdf and mark that up you can actually do all of that with the built-in apps that come with your ipad you know you don't actually don't need a third-party app for maybe a lot of the base level tasks that you want to do this was the selling point of buying a Mac for years is like you get GarageBand and iMovie and you can literally make videos and you can, you know, do all that stuff right with your Mac right out of the box and you don't need any third-party apps. But if you get into some of that stuff and you want more and better tools for making videos or for taking notes or managing documents, then you have this amazing world of third-party apps that build on that functionality and give you even more control and power over your devices and what you can do with them. And so with Notability, again, like if you want just a free option where you can mark stuff up and take notes, like the Apple Notes app is fine. Like it, it has gotten better over the years and it's plenty usable. But if you want something with more power, that's what the third-party apps are there for. You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And, you know, apps like Adobe that's all subscription now. You know, you used to be able to buy Photoshop and just use it for whatever. And now everything is a subscription, either by app or by the whole creative cloud. And I will say that's actually one of the reasons why I transitioned to use apps from the app store that I can buy once. I mean, I'm so glad that Final Cut is a one-time purchase and I use Pixelmator rather than Photoshop. One, because I just don't want the Adobe cloud running on my Mac. I think it's kind of a heavy application and it's another subscription and I don't have to pay for it. So I make the choice to buy one-time apps like Pixelmator and Final Cut and Compressor and I use those. And then apps that I really love like Bear for note-taking. Yeah, I could use Apple Notes. I could use Pages documents for taking notes, but Bear gives me features that are really worthwhile and make my workflow easier, help me be more productive in taking notes. And so I will gladly pay Bear every year and I hope they keep like improving it and making it and I want all the new features that they have for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be clear, I'm not against the one-time payment model. Just because I support subscriptions doesn't mean I'm like, oh yeah, everything should be a subscription. Uh, No, I totally agree. Like certain apps, uh, utilities and things, absolutely should be one-time purchases. They should probably charge more. I I think that a lot of these one-time purchase apps are going way too low, especially because people expect 99-cent apps on the app store. They should be charging ten dollars minimum for a lot of these utilities and i know terrible me uh wanting to spend more money i guess but i I just feel like these developers deserve what to get paid for what they're making and so yeah if they decide that like 
it's a one-time purchase. I, I think a lot of apps like, like you said, Pixelmator, these utility apps that you install on your computer that yes, need updates, but aren't connected to the web. Like they aren't using APIs. They aren't calling servers, stuff like that. Those work as one-time purchases because there isn't a constant overhead on the developer. Yeah. But for someone like Carrot Weather, that, that Carrot Weather developer has to pay for all the API calls they make to weather services. And I think people forget that. And that's right. why they have to charge $24 per person per year in order to get a premium subscription on Carrot because, I mean, it's an amazing app. Plus, there's API calls and stuff. So I think, yeah, there's absolutely a case-by-case basis for each and every app out there. And I think it's a very personal decision for a person uh, buying these things to say, is this worth it for me? Remember, like, that's the whole reason the App Store exists. There's hundreds of choices in every category. Find the thing that works for you and cost the amount of money that you're willing to pay and get it. Yeah. But don't be that guy that goes on the internet and complains because they have to spend an extra $5 a year to use a camera app that they like. It's kind of, it's just a bad look. Yeah. Let me thank our friends at Bespoke Post. They are a brand new sponsor. We're so glad to have Bespoke Post with us. And this fall, you can get back into the swing of things with Bespoke Post because they have a new seasonal lineup of must-have Box of Awesome collections. So what Bespoke Post does is they partner with small businesses and emerging brands, and they bring unique goods to you every month. I actually got a box, and one of them is like a day travel bag, which is super nice. It's like this canvas bag, leather straps, and really nice for just traveling out for a day. And I also got some like fancy whiskey glasses that are like tilted when you put them on a table, but they don't spill your stuff. I like feeling fancy sometimes, and This stuff is like really cool. And no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered from autumn craft beers to cozy threads and camping gear essentials. Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. Some of their new collections also include like dop kits for, again, traveling with your toiletries and stuff. They have a cool glass bottle for drinks that you can keep in your house and even like camping knives and stuff. Feel outdoorsy. I don't know. I love this stuff. To get started, you take the quiz at boxofawesome.com and your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories, and it's free to sign up. You can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box only costs $45, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Plus, with each box of awesome, you're supporting small businesses. 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from a small, up-and-coming brand. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code APPLEINSIDER at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code Apple Insider, all one word, for 20% off your first box. There'll also be a link in the podcast description where you can just go right to their website. Our thanks to Bespoke Post and Box of Awesome for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Prisoner Wine. Listen, wine is like fine art. It can be good, it can be bad, and every once in a while, it can be truly transcendent. And that's why I love telling you about the Prisoner Wine Company. I love their branding because it features Francisco Goya's artwork right on every bottle. The detail is striking and memorable. And not only do they have a great brand, but the Prisoner Wine Company insists on doing things differently. Like 20 years ago when they decided to combine some of California's best and most unusual grape varieties to make a bold and complex blend, aka their namesake, the Prisoner Red Blend. I actually have a bottle of the Prisoner Red Blend, and I mean, I'm not a sommelier, but it's one of the best wines I've ever had. It's smooth, rich, and approachable. And the best part is the Prisoner Wine Company will ship all of their rule-bending blends, like the Prisoner Red Blend and Prisoner Chardonnay and Thorn Merlot, direct to your door. 
The Prisoner is one of Napa Valley's most recognized red blends, and the Prisoner Wine Company has been featured in Wine Spectator, Forbes, and Food and Wine. You've got to experience these wines for yourself. Again, I've personally been enjoying it. You've got to experience these wines for yourself. So go to theprisonerwine.com slash appleinsider for 20% off plus shipping included on your first purchase. You can get it in time for the holidays. This is the best deal they have available. Get 20% off plus shipping included at theprisonerwine.com slash appleinsider. That's theprisonerwine.com slash appleinsider. There'll also be a link in the podcast description. You can just click it there. Offer valid on first-time online orders only for U.S. residents of legal drinking age through December 31st, 2021. Other exclusions may apply. Please enjoy wines responsibly. Our thanks to The Prisoner Wine for sponsoring this episode. Now, did you uh, grab a pair of AirPods 3? Nope, I'm all in on AirPods Pro, so AirPods Pro. No, okay. no reason for me to get these. Okay, okay. Well, in that case, I will say I, I got AirPods 3. I actually went a little crazy and got them for the family. So I got my wife a pair because she was still using the original AirPods. And I got my two sons a pair of AirPods 3 as well. They've never had AirPods and they've only ever used like $15 headphones from a gas station, which when when we went on vacation, you know, we were driving. And so we had like a 12 hour road trip and we stopped at this one gas station rest stop. And, you know, they have their little technology section where you can get like chargers that may or may not blow up your phone and cheap headphones. And they had these just 100% AirPod knockoffs. Like it was, they had, it was a white pill charging case, looked like a dental floss charging case. You open it up, the earbuds were white, totally wireless, 100% looked like AirPods. Uh, there was a little screen inside, which actually, which actually tells you the battery level. These were $15. Like, I kid you not, listeners, $15. This will be the chapter picture art <laughs> for the podcast, and I will tweet it out as well. But $15, the feature actually showing you the battery level and like this little cheap digital screen, that was actually kind of nice. I, I appreciated that. But anyway, $15 for these AirPods. And he was like, I really want to get these. And he didn't know I had already had the AirPods 3 like arriving at the house like days later. And I was like, okay, sure. And these $15 fake AirPods, they sound terrible. Like they literally sound <laughs> as though the speaker is on the other side of a tin can with a string and a piece of felt over that. And there's like white noise in the background. Like it is just a terrible, terrible sounding headphone, but it is totally wireless. You paid $15 for plastic. Yeah. I mean, but honestly, like $15 for totally wireless, like no wire between the earbuds. Like they are just, you know, look quote unquote, like AirPods. You know, that was kudos to the, whatever, you know, company is making these knockoffs, but $15 was, (laughs) it's just hilarious. So anyway, got AirPods. And, you know, I got this question, Jason Aitzen asked me this on Twitter and others like, you know, what is the use of AirPods if you have AirPods Pro and even AirPods Max? You know, I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, all three versions of AirPods. And I still find that I have separate use cases for all three. If I'm doing a deep work session or I'm writing and I want kind of really immersive music or I'm editing a podcast, I'll do that with my AirPods Max. The over the ear and noise canceling is great. If I'm going grocery shopping, the AirPods Pro with noise canceling, the best. Like that, just that one use case, plus other places where I want noise canceling, but have a discreet headphone, AirPods Pro are great. And they sound great. They really do. But there were still some instances where I liked using the regular AirPods. If I go for a walk, I'm not crazy about transparency mode. It feels kind of weird to me. And so I actually prefer just to use AirPods that are not isolating. And I can just kind of hear the ambient noise around me through the AirPod. And 
when I exercise, if I do a bike or walk or elliptical, something about the AirPods Pro, like A, I don't like sweating in the comply foam ear tips that I have in them and the silicone tips slide out actually of my ear uh, that come with the AirPods Pro. So I got the comply third-party tips and they stay super solid. That's what I, again, use grocery shopping. But exercising with that, I just don't like the feeling of having those in my ear while I'm sweating and stuff. And so I preferred the regular AirPods for that too. So there were enough use cases where I like using the base model AirPods as opposed to the Pro and the Max. And I was very curious about the AirPods 3. And so got a pair, family got a pair, family loves them. I mean, it's the first time they've had like modern AirPods. So they're all like, this is amazing. Very cool. So the AirPods 3, they're 180 bucks. They're more expensive than, you know, previous models, but they do come with spatial audio with head tracking, which is nice. And they have this redesigned, you know, this contour design that Apple announced. So my initial thought was, you know, pairing it, super easy, all that. They sound really good. The sound on the AirPods third generation or AirPods 3 is significantly better than the previous base model AirPods. The bass has a better response and it is, is more bassy and just it's, everything is clearer in general. Listening to music on these is much closer to the AirPods Pro quality rather than the base model AirPods. Definitely not AirPods Pro quality, but the sound is very, very good. They do feel much larger in the ear because the actual part that goes into your ear is just bigger. Like it's a, it's a larger <laughs> device. And so you do feel it more in your ear, which some people might not like. I actually found they feel more secure being larger inside my ear, but they were still very, very comfortable. I can wear them for a long time and I do forget I'm wearing them sometimes. Like they are very comfortable. And the shorter stem is welcome. You know, it's nice. I see like regular AirPods now and the stem looks like really long because these AirPods have the shorter stem like the AirPods Pro. My wife, who had regular AirPods before and now she has the AirPods 3, she did say that clicking the stem is a little weird compared to tapping the outside because the way they turn into your ear, like the AirPods 3 are made to go directly into your ear canal. And so tapping the stem kind of makes you have to like reach in a little bit to get it. Like it's not just like tapping the side. So if you liked the tapping, I've heard opinions both ways. Some people are not crazy about the force click on the AirPods 3. Some love it. So that's a preference thing, but I'm used to it with the AirPods Pro. So I was good with that. Feeling larger in the ear, but it does feel comfortable. The bass is really good and they sound really good. And so it's a great option. The problem is oftentimes you can get AirPods Pro on sale for like 200 bucks. Like you can go on Amazon and get AirPods Pro, even with the new MagSafe case for 200 bucks, which is only $20 away from the AirPods 3 $180 price. And so if you have no AirPods, or maybe you just have the base model AirPods like a couple of years old, and you want to upgrade, you're not sure what to upgrade to, that's a difficult decision. I will say, because these AirPods 3 don't have silicone tips, even though it fits better in the ear and is larger in the ear, like there's no noise isolation. Noise isolation, meaning if you have soft silicone tips, you know, it's going to block out a lot of sound. I did go grocery shopping with the AirPods 3 instead of the AirPods Pro to see how it sounded. And I heard everything in the grocery store, like all that white noise and voices and all that. Like it was kind of annoying and it doesn't block anything out. And so for that use case, I'm still going to stick with the AirPods Pro because I just like it better. Around the house, I have been leaning towards the AirPods 3 because if one of my kids or my wife is trying to tell me something, 
like not having the isolated noise canceling allows me to hear them better and I can just pause real quick and talk to them and they don't have to like try to get my attention multiple times, which is also why I went with these instead of pro for my kids because they're going to have noise canceling on all the time if they had those and I would have to like call their name multiple times or text them from 10 feet away to get their attention. But if you are looking to upgrade your AirPods and you're not sure to go with the AirPods 3 or the AirPods Pro, it's a tough decision if you are in environments where that noise cancellation would be really helpful. Maybe you're in a co-working space or just an office where you're allowed to wear headphones, but there's a lot of other people talking on the phone or whatever. Or you do have situations like going to the grocery store or you know walking around a theme park and you just don't want to hear the stuff that's going on and you want to be really isolated. Or you travel and you go on planes, but you don't want the AirPods Max. The noise canceling on the AirPods Pro is still great. It's really great. And I would say you probably should go with the AirPods Pro. If you get a new one now, you know, it has that MagSafe alignment charging in the case. They still sound incredible. I kind of wish Apple updated those recently. So it'd be easier to say like, don't buy these year and a half old AirPods Pro, like get the new ones. And I don't know, there were rumors that AirPods Pro generation two would be coming out soon, but it doesn't look like it's going to be coming before Christmas. I mean, the AirPods Pro are still great, but they're also a year and a half old. So not sure about that. If there were colors for the AirPods 3, I would have oh. definitely, I would have just bought them just, just to have a colored set of AirPods. Because I, I get your different use case thing. Uh, it makes sense. I don't know that I have enough varied use. I don't, I don't mind wearing the AirPods Pro for everything. Like I don't mind working out on them, walking or whatever. I don't mind transparency mode. I actually prefer it. I use it uh, most of the time I'm wearing them. That's the problem. I just don't have a place for these to fit. But uh, if there was colors, I would have, I would have dived on them immediately. And then of course, uh, AirPods Pro 2, whenever that happened, I'd probably probably just got those two. Hopefully though, Apple embraces some colors at some point. I mean, did you see the Beats Fit Pro that came out same time? I did see those and I'm like, everyone was raving about them. There's there there's colors. colors. I mean, uh, barely four options, but they're all gray and pink. So at least <laughs> there's a different option out there. I, I'm tempted to maybe get my mom a pair of the pink ones because she needs some headphones. Uh, the AirPods 3 are definitely in a weird spot. I think financially speaking, yeah, they're basically identically priced. So it's going to be a and finish thing preferences some people really don't like silicone tips um even even with the foam tips from comply and stuff like i remember wearing the airpods when they first came out i really like that plastic design i like how they just slip into the ear i feel like with even the airpods pro there's some adjusting and placement kind of uh, there's thought to it whereas the airpods don't you don't need any thought you just stick them in there there's stuff like that that i do miss about it but yeah just the feature set overall of the airpods i i would definitely choose the pro myself so Yeah. And I will say, so I just looked on Amazon and I will put this link in the show notes. This is on Amazon from the Apple store, quote unquote, $190 for AirPods Pro. So that is literally only $10 away from the new AirPods third generation. We're we're absolutely going to see some AirPods Pro soon. I guess the question remains, is there going to be another AirPods Max sometime in the next five years? But uh, AirPods Pro, we're getting long in the tooth. That battery not doing great. I bought right. mine day one and uh, it is noticeably shorter on each year. I, I don't remember. I think it was like four and a half hours quoted uh, on with ANC on. I'm seeing maybe three. Uh, if that, I don't really time it or anything. It's just, I definitely notice that I'm getting that little ding noise in my ear more often um, switching between the two. So yeah, the case is still, char- seems to be the same amount, but the AirPods themselves are dying much faster. Yeah, and that is one of the nice things about getting a new pair of AirPods. I was using the AirPods 3. I listened to stuff for, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. 
put them back in the case and it said like 90% battery. And I was like, oh, the new battery smell of a new pair of AirPods. It's very good. So, and these had, do have improved battery life even over the previous generation. And I will say, I mentioned the MagSafe thing and I, I tweeted a picture like, it's kind of funny, but the alignment of like putting the new AirPods 3 case and the new AirPods Pro case would do this too. You can put it on a MagSafe charger that's even like, you know, standing. Like I have the Belkin 3-in-1 charger and the MagSafe charger like is elevated. You know, it's, you know, floating in midair almost. And it's strong enough to just stick to it. It just sticks to the MagSafe charger and you don't have to worry about alignment. So it's actually appreciated to have that uh, as part of the feature set in the charging case. So, so listeners, if you have questions about the AirPods 3, uh, tweet at me. I'll, I'll answer whatever else if I didn't cover it here on the show. And I'll be tweeting a picture of those uh, fake AirPods too, because those are hilarious. So <laughs> there you have it. They sell like four different versions of those fake AirPods at my local farmer's market. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Someone buys them because they, oh, they, they've always had them there. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take one more break. And then we're going to talk about the MacBook Pro. We want to tell you about our friends at Truebill. Listen, you probably have a ton of subscriptions hitting your credit cards every month. You know, all those streaming services that you signed up for and all those subscriptions are probably costing you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars because you're forgetting to cancel. And so you can fight back against scammy subscriptions with Truebill. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Yeah, you heard me right. They will handle canceling your subscriptions. Your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. I've been using the Truebill app for several months now and I love the service. They connect with your accounts using Plaid so you know it's secure and private and they tell you all the subscriptions that are hitting your accounts. And not only that, They'll actually tell you when a subscription changes price. I actually pay for a storage unit as we're getting ready to move and all that. And that storage unit price actually went up in cost per month. And Truebill was the first one to tell me that, hey, this subscription went up. And so I love the app and the service. You got to try it. Truebill has over 2 million users and have helped them save over $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling them today at Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. That's T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L dot com slash Apple Insider. So go right now, Truebill.com slash Apple Insider, and it could save you thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Truebill for sponsoring this episode and our friends at ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like walking your dog in public without securing them on a leash. Most of the time you might be fine, but what if one day your dog wanders a bit too far and gets dog napped by someone. This is why you need a VPN. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, your online data is not secure. Any hacker on the same network can gain access and steal your personal data. And hackers can make up to $1,000 per person by selling personal information on the dark web. I actually traveled recently. And when I connect to hotel Wi-Fi, I use ExpressVPN because I know it's going to keep my information secure and private and the hotel or anyone else on the network, which there might be hundreds on that hotel network, can access my data. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so hackers can't steal your sensitive data. And it's super secure. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. 
and it's easy to use. You can use it on your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, even some smart TVs and wireless routers. You open up the app on your iPhone or iPad or your Mac, you click one button, and you're protected. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Apple Insider, and you can get an extra three months for free. expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Now, Wes, you tweeted a picture of the MacBook Pro, the new one, as basically a like an elevated paperweight for your iPad. And I was like, wait a minute, Wes Hilliard, the iPad man, uh, has bought a new MacBook Pro. And my I was on vacation. I was like, I don't even know what to think about this right now. I'm gonna have to talk to him when I get back. So Wes, what happened? You You bought a MacBook Pro. What in the world? Well, I've been tempted for a while to get some kind of Mac because uh, I have a Mac Mini in my living room. As, as I've said, it, it's it's dusty. It turns on every now and then to run some server stuff that it, there's really not much going on there. I've literally used it five times in the last three years. It's 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 getting old. Not really my thing. And I, I just really like working from an iPad. There's something whimsical and fun about it. But I've noticed, you know, Apple's, you know, Mac OS Monterey, the M1 processors, all of this stuff has really been shifting the MacBook to be more iPad-like in a lot of ways. And it's it's very curious uh, to me what has changed. Because the last time I used a MacBook was in 2017-ish. I sold a, I had a 16-inch MacBook Pro with touch bar. I think I had the, the, high, the higher end i7 processor graphics and all of that. So, I mean, I was like playing Skyrim on that thing. It was... <laughs> bad but uh <laughs> it worked and it was a good computer i just at the time when apple was going you know full full speed on the ipad pro and promoting all these new changes that i think the reason why i sold the, the macbook pro specifically was because their multitasking changes and being able to do split screen and stuff came out that year and that just really kind of woke me up to saying hey this ipad could actually be a like a main computer and you know throw the keyboard on apple pencil i started using it that way and just kind of fell in love but you know jump forward four years later and I'm still feel the same way about the iPad, but now I'm just getting very tempted by these Macs because again, it's just, they're just shifting that much closer. So of course I was, I I talked to our editor and said, you know, what would, what would we think of, you know, a perspective from me, like a a write-up saying, Hey, I've used an iPad as my primary computer for the last several years, two of which I've worked at Apple insider full time on an iPad pro. What do I think of the the 14 inch MacBook Pro? So I went and got one. The reason why I even brought it up is because Best Buy in my local area just had one in stock while everyone on Twitter was crying about their six months delay on on their orders. So uh, I just ran up there, got it, base model, you know, nothing nothing fancy, M1 Pro processor, 16 gigs of RAM, 512 storage, and everything, and and it's nice. I brought it home and immediately it was just like, yeah, this is a MacBook. It's it's running Mac OS. I at first I was just very turned off by the just entire paradigm it just felt as i've said before it just feels dated to me it feels like i'm using i'm back in high school using that windows computer running microsoft 2003 but um it's grown on me over the last few days uh for sure i've i found a lot of things that i can do with it that of course you can't do on an ipad i'll, I'll definitely be writing a story on this in the next couple of weeks uh to to define it next time i'm on the podcast i'll, I'll dig into it more but yeah it's it's definitely interesting well my my situation was i did not buy these after the announcement, even though they went up for sale right after. Of course, I played with the configurator for like an hour and I was like, am I going to buy one of these? But I didn't because my true desire is to have a pro level desktop, whether it's the iMac Pro that comes early next year or 
some kind of Mac Mini Pro that is powered by an M1 Max and spec it out. Like I really want a desktop because I want it just to be there on all the time. I don't have to worry about docking or battery life in a device. And so I really just wanted to hold out for that. And then all the reviews came out of the new 14-inch MacBook Pro and the 16-inch. And I see people tweeting about it. And I'm like, man, this thing is looks really, really nice. And I'm not going to use the HDMI port, which we could talk about ports later. But the SD card slot on that thing plus MagSafe was very tempting. And the screen, you know, I'm accustomed to a mini LED screen on my 12.9-inch iPad Pro. And I do edit videos sometimes for Apple Insider and do product reviews. And I would love to have that great screen to do Final Cut work. And I do export those 4K videos periodically. So I was like, shoot, I'm going to get one of these, aren't I? And if I had to order one and wait like for weeks or even months, I probably would not have done it. But I kept my eye on the local Apple stores here in central Florida. And when you go to get the new 14-inch MacBook Pro or the 16-inch, but I was looking at the 14-inch, you know, there's kind of two base models. You have the base base model for $2,000. You get the 8-core CPU, 14-core GPU, 512 storage. And then there's like a second base model, which gives you 10-core CPU, so two more cores, 16-core GPU, two more GPU cores, and a terabyte of SSD storage. And that was, aside from the M1 Pro chip, obviously, that was equivalent to my M1 MacBook Pro that I bought last November, which that has been my sole Mac. I've been using it for all of my video editing and podcast recording, and it was great. It has the 16 gigs of RAM, just like my M1, this M1 Pro did, and the one terabyte SSD. So I was like, okay, what would I get for a trade-in for my M1 MacBook Pro? Because if I can get a decent amount right now, maybe that will sway me to getting one of these new ones. And I did the the trade-in calculator as I went to buy, and they were going to give me like $967 for my M1 MacBook Pro that's a year old. So $1,000. Yes, I probably could have gotten more if I sold it you know, on Facebook Marketplace or whatever, but I didn't want to deal with that. I just wanted to give it to Apple and get whatever value they were going to give me. And so the fact that it was $1,000 for my M1 MacBook Pro, I was like, okay. And I I wasn't going to spec anything up. I was going to get this kind of second tier base model because it matched my M1. I had 16 gigs of RAM and a terabyte SSD in my M1 MacBook Pro. And I was like, okay, I'm basically, I'm going to replace this and still wait to have a spec'd out desktop because that's what I really want. And I was, was able to justify it in my mind in that way to say, I'm just going to replace kind of a base model MacBook Pro. And I'm going to still wait to spend kind of the big money on the desktop. And the 14-inch came in stock. It's amazing. Like every day it's different. Some days it's in stock. Some days it's not, depending on the store. But that 14-inch, that secondary tier base model, was available for pickup at the Apple brand and Apple store. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And so I, I, I did it, ordered it for pickup, went to it. I picked it up. I think it was last Saturday. Now, when I did the purchasing, you can kind of do the trade-in at the same time. And anytime I've traded stuff in before, I was able to do it in the store. You just bring them your old device and they'll take the amount off the new purchase or give you a gift card for a trade-in or whatever. And so when I did the purchase, it said, you can't trade in MacBook Pros in store. You're going to have to mail it back. And I wasn't crazy about mailing a MacBook Pro back. You know, is it going to get lost in the mail? I've heard, you know, challenges other people have had in the past. I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I went to pick up the new 14-inch. I didn't bring in my old M1. 
And I asked them, I was like, can I trade my old one in store? Like if I would have brought it, could I just have traded it in right here? Because the checkout told me I couldn't. And they said, oh yeah, we could do that. We'll trade it in in store. I will give you the value right here. You don't have to mail it away. And I was like, okay, well, I wish I would have brought it, but I'll come back tomorrow. And so I came back the next day, Sunday with my M1 MacBook Pro and the manager did have to come out. There was like this weird thing where they couldn't just credit my Apple card, which I had bought the new 14 inch on. They ended up having to basically give me Apple cash, which you can then like put towards a credit card payment for the Apple card. But I was like, okay, I guess I'll take the Apple cash. It should be fine. And the manager of the store was very nice. He's like, yeah, it's no problem. No problem. It'll show up right away. And so I did the trade-in, handed them my M1 MacBook Pro. I did the Apple cash like tap payment on their thing to get the trade-in value and like didn't appear on the Apple cash card on my iPhone wallet. And I was like, okay, how long does it take? And the manager was like, oh, it'll show up in a couple minutes. So like, all right, well, I'm going to hang out just for a couple minutes because this is like a thousand dollar trade-in and I want to make sure I have this money. And so we were kind of shooting the breeze. I told him I like do videos for Apple Insider and, you know, obviously told him about the podcast. And so we were, you know, we were having a good time. And like 10 minutes later, it still hadn't shown up. My Apple card, like cash balance was still nothing. And I was like, so when is it going to show up again? And they're like, well, did you get the email saying you got the trade-in value? So I checked my email and yes, it said that that money was going into my Apple cash. He's like, well, as long as you got the email, that's the confirmation. You should be good to go. And I was like, okay, I guess. And so I left without that money in the Apple Cash card. And I was checking that thing religiously for the next three days. <laughs> and it took three days to show up in the Apple Cash card. It was, I think, Tuesday. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I opened the Apple wallet and finally saw that there was like the $1,000 that hit the Apple Cash card. So just as a whole trading experience story, sometimes it takes a couple days for that Apple Cash to come in. But if you're also wanting to get one of these new MacBook Pros and trade in an older Mac, they can take it in the store. You don't have to mail it away. So all of that to say that was, that was my experience there. Yeah. I mean, they had to mail the check to Apple to make sure it cleared before yeah. you got your Apple cash. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, it's definitely uh, interesting. I mean, I feel like these these days, especially with Apple, certain companies, uh, trade-in values are really good. Yeah. Because yeah, you're going through the secondary market, you're playing with a lot of luck. Someone has to want it. Someone has to want it for the money that you're asking for, and you have yeah. to meet up and not die. So going through trade-in in store, it's usually the better choice, at least easier. I prefer, like, I. that's how I do my iPhone every year. I just go through the Verizon upgrade program, let them give them give them the old phone, get the new phone, never have to think about selling it. I have an Apple Watch Series 6 here that hasn't, I haven't even advertised for sale yet because I keep forgetting about it. It's just, <laughs> it's one of those things where yeah. sometimes trade-in is just the smarter thing to do. And I will say the trade-in, because I thought about trading in my Series 6 and it's a titanium model, which is you know, the expensive edition models. And Apple was only giving $275 for that titanium series six. And that was not a value that I felt was good. So like I didn't trade in my series six. I'm actually going to see if it's too big for my wife. My wife's been using it. And if she likes it, it'll be an upgrade from her four. You know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't take 275 for a titanium year old Apple watch. No, that's a little ridiculous. Last thing before we dive into these MacBooks a little bit. Yeah. Um, I did want to point out, uh, I'm, I'm not switching to a MacBook. Uh, I'm probably going to return this. Uh, I'm not sure yet. The whole the whole idea here is is to convince me. Uh, our our editor Mike, the, you know Mike Worthley, yeah. he was on our show last week. He uh, basically told me he's like, if you do this, I'm warning you, you're gonna love it and you're gonna want to keep it no matter what. Because the idea was I was probably just going to return it. And I do definitely like this machine. I still, again, prefer, you can follow me on Twitter and see me. I, I 
post up a random comments on it every now and then sometimes ignorantly i don't know everything about max like i i know quite a bit i write about them quite a lot you know it's not that it's just there's certain little things that you forget especially if you haven't used them for a few years it's just like i i uh steven you corrected me on one thing it's uh to scroll down the list of files and you'll find the photos picker and the document picker and it's just like come on <laughs> anyway likely is not i this is the super base model eight core cpu uh probably going to return this no matter what just because it is the base one and i'll feel bad if i just have that one so uh best buy has a lovely holiday return policy i can keep this guy until like january yeah um so i'll have it for a while to play with once i feel confident and if i really decide that this is just going to be part of my workflow because i'm not going to buy this and just put it under my desk i'm, I'm going to use it for work yeah. so then yes i would be kind of shifting my at least daily work to my macbook because uh, as i've noticed over the last few days there's there's certain things that are just i can do either faster or just simply because i i can have an extended display on my external monitor stuff like that like there's such small things here that i've noticed that I, i'm enjoying that yeah. apple could change tomorrow and ipad os because it's just a software limitation and i would be back on the ipad again uh, and and have wasted two thousand dollars on a macbook like that it's it's that close <laughs> It's it's how silly it is. So I want to get into to some of the details about macOS in a second for sure. Just high level, like new MacBook Pros. You know, I took it out of the box when I got it, and hardware wise, the design is very nostalgic for me. My first Mac was a 12 inch G4 PowerBook. Yeah, and the hardware is just beautiful. So nice. Uh, the, you know, the the fit and finish of it, the MacBook Pro imprint that's on the underside of the computer is just such a nice touch. And it feels so solid. Like the lid on this MacBook Pro is feels more substantial. There's something about the lid I really like. The way it feels, like when you're like just grabbing it to lift it up. There's something like the texture, I guess, uh, is really nice. Yeah, and like it just feels like a substantial, significant lid. Just and not like heavy or awkward or bulky, but just feels like pro. Like this is a pro lid. Did you get the silver or space gray? Space gray with white cable. Jeez, right. Apple, why? Come on. <laughs> I know. That's the unfortunate part. But, you know, I've seen the silvers. The silver does look very nice, but uh, but I like my, I really like my space gray. Uh, the keyboard with the full height function keys rather than the touch bar. I'm liking that. You know, I did not use the touch bar very much before. I actually use this in clamshell mode, like when I'm recording a podcast right now anyways. So, you know, I don't even use the keyboard like right now, but, but everything about the hardware is just beautiful. It feels nostalgic. Really like it. I can give you a couple of, uh, immediate impressions if you want. Yeah, here. go for it. Uh, first of all, I'll, I'll say, I think the iPad, I know it's controversial. I think the iPad is actually a better laptop for me. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is a great desktop tool. I love slapping it into the Thunderbolt port, having it connect to all the stuff on my desktop, just like the iPad yep. and have a full size monitor display. All that stuff's cool. But when I carry this thing around as a laptop or I'll, I, like I've taken it to my living room and use it in the lap and stuff, it's nice, but my eyesight must be going or something. Cause it, it just seems like the screen is so far away. You know how the iPad and the, and the magic keyboard lifts the screen up and it's tilted towards your face. Right. Whereas in order to get the angle right on the MacBook, you have to push the screen further away from you. It's the opposite on the iPad. You actually pull the screen closer to you when you want to angle it to your face. Right. Just one of the small things I notice uh, when working between the two. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, honestly, 
I, I love that magic keyboard design and I think it actually works a little bit better as a laptop. And uh, I hope here soon we see a aluminum magic keyboard with the same uh, articulating hinges because that thing's cool. Uh, hardware wise though. Yeah, this thing is just a, a beautiful machine to look at. I was holding it next to the iPad pro in the magic keyboard and they're basically the same thickness, nearly the same weight. 14 inch MacBook pro is obviously a little bit bigger because it is a bigger display, but um, yeah, it's just, it's a computer. <laughs> o- overall, overall, though, my impressions are that uh, I just I really like the hardware. Like it's yeah. it's just one of those things. Like I just would like to have just because it's a nice thing. It's it's just really well designed. Yeah. Now it is a little thicker and wider than the 13 inch M1 MacBook Pro, and I realized that several ways. One, I had a laptop sleeve from Harbor London that fit the 13 inch great. The 14 inch does not fit, and so I ordered another sleeve from them. It comes in tomorrow. I'll talk about that next week. And also my bridge vertical dock, which I loved. I was using, that's what I used at my desk all the time for docking. It will not fit in that at all. Bridge has not said whether or not they will be making a vertical dock for the 14 inch. I really hope they do. And I've been tweeting at him to see if they will do it. So I kind of just took the vertical dock away and just put my MacBook Pro just on the desk and I plug one cable into it. I had to rework some of my signal chain for the Thunderbolt docks because the bridge vertical dock makes use of two cables. There's two cables coming out. I didn't want to have to connect two cables every time to my MacBook Pro now. So I was able to rearrange everything. And there's one dock that's like daisy chained, but one cable allows me to connect to everything. I have an external hard drive, my LG Ultrafine, my MixPre 3 sound device, plus the Thunderbolt 3 dock where I have my SD card stuff, like, and uh, the ethernet jack on the on that, plus Blackmagic, like uh, ATEM switcher. So like everything through one cable, which is still amazing. The other thing about the hardware, again, everything is great. I love having MagSafe back again. It's really cool. But I also love being able to charge with a USB-C also because, you know, I only have one MagSafe cable. There's only one that comes with the computer and I have not bought more MagSafe cables. I may, but it's nice because if I have a specific bag, like I have a Peak Design backpack that I'll bring if I want to do some shooting, I have USB-C cables and USB-C chargers from like Anchor I don't want to have to move the MagSafe charger every time I use a different bag. So it's nice. I can just charge it with the USB-C cables that I have, and that works great. Now it comes to the display. So the display is the ProMotion, the variable refresh rate. It's a mini LED display with the notch. Now I will say coming from the 12.9-inch iPad Pro that has mini LED, the display looks just as good, if not even slightly better than that. The display is great. You can watch HDR content even on YouTube and you see that HDR difference. You know, the, it get, becomes brighter, and you can even move that window around the laptop screen. And because of the variable refresh, 120 hertz, like the HDR section of the web browser playing the YouTube video will stay HDR, and everything else will, you know, not be. And it's lightning fast. Like you don't see any jitter or lag. And so the display is beautiful. Now, the notch. I'd be curious your thoughts on it because there's no notch on the iPad Pro. It does go away sometimes for the most part. I did notice some strange behavior with menu bar icons. I have a lot of menu bar icons and I was trying not to use Bartender because I wanted to see how the notch handled it. And I have everything from, you know, Wi-Fi and Spotlight to PaySpot, 1Password, Fantastical, Text Expander, Hazel. Uh, the Elgato Control Center and Stream Deck, which are two separate icons. Plus, I have a Shortcuts icon up there. So I have a lot of icons up there. And interestingly, on the MacBook Pro screen, they weren't all showing up. They went up to the notch and then 
like there were no more. They didn't go to the other side of the notch. And I was actually missing a couple menu bar icons. When I plugged my new 14-inch MacBook Pro into my LG UltraFine display, then all the icons appear in the menu bar and I have access to all of them. So that's a little bit of a weird behavior. I thought the menu bar icons were going to go to the other side of the notch, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like the OS is kind of just deciding what menu bar icons to show or hide uh, in that. But what have been your thoughts on the display? Nobody needs that many menu bar icons ever. Oh, you don't know. That's why we're going to get to that and why the utilities are what makes Mac OS great. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I got a, I got a lot of stuff to dig into on this thing. I've only had it for a few days and it's been a busy few days. So yeah, of yeah. course, I'm I'm still digging through. I, I got Setapp and installed oh, yeah. uh, like three things and I'm going to uninstall Setapp. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> There's just nothing in there I need. Sorry, guys. I'll, I'll I'll get some apps, though. I'll definitely probably just buy Bartender separately because that's a good utility, but yeah. there's really just nothing else in there. There's a lot of replacement apps for things I already use. I, setup's cool, just not for me. Anyway, um, the notch, nah, it doesn't. I, I, I immediately just went and got one of the 15 uh, notch hider things and just made it permanently black up there. And I, Oh, did you? Yeah, I've never noticed it. I don't care. I, I would prefer it to be black space anyway because I'm in the party that just says uh, everything below the notch is a 16 by 10 display. Just give me that. I'm also minimalist when it comes to that kind of stuff. I deleted everything in my menu bar. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the only thing I have up there is control center, Siri, and a clock that is analog. Oh my. So okay. uh, su- yeah, sue su- su- me. What what utility did you get for that menu bar blackout? Oh, um, give me two seconds. Because I, I had not tried one yet. I was curious. What I'm most curious about if when it blacks out the menu bar, what does it do with the menu bar icons? Does it make them white? Let's see. Top notch. Top notch. I got top notch because it's made by a developer that already makes something I like. I just, I forget what that is. Uh, Yeah, the icons are white. Okay. And series still colorful. So I guess it's just whatever whatever it's set to bartender shows me drafts and fantastic. I haven't edited like I, there's just a set of glasses here for bartender again. Like I just don't have any utilities. Like I, I played around with a couple of the things that show you like performance. Uh, what, what's that one called that everyone likes? I sat menus. I played around with that. adds like 400 things to your menu. I, I didn't care for that too much. Cool stuff. Just nothing I'll ever need. Yeah. Again, I'm coming from an iPad where the menu bar is a clock and uh, the Wi-Fi thing. So yeah, yeah <laughs> just yeah. not something where I don't, I just don't feel like I need a lot of tools and information up there, but something I'll probably look into as I go along here. Well, let me, let me, I'll make a couple of recommendations in a moment. The last thing I want to say, just as, as I was setting up, I typically like to set up a new Mac from scratch and not migrate stuff because, you know, when you have a Mac over time, sometimes if you're downloading utilities and third-party apps outside of the app store, stuff can just, you know, be in the libraries or whatever. But I had kept my M1 MacBook Pro pretty clean, just installing what I needed and deleting things when I didn't. I use Hazel, which will find any library files when you delete an application that might be hidden and will eliminate those as well. But I did the migration assistant from my M1 to the M1 Pro MacBook Pro that I have now. And over a Thunderbolt cable, it was super fast. I mean, it transferred everything in like 20 minutes. And it was just like I had opened up my M1 MacBook Pro. Everything was as I had wanted. Some of the apps were broken, like Skype wouldn't open for some reason. Once I updated to the latest Monterey, like 12.0.1 or whatever, then everything worked fine again. So there was some kind of weirdness there. If you use an app like Audio Hijack, then you also have to like lessen the disk security, which is a, a bunch of voodoo you have to do. Like Audio Hijack walks you through it, but that's another thing you have to do. So 
Migration Assistant, just want to say, works really well, especially over a Thunderbolt cable. And a quick word on performance. You know, I got the M1 Pro, that secondary tier, which is the 10-core CPU, 16-core GPU. And I did a couple things in Final Cut, and I did notice, hey, it's faster than the M1. And if I had the M1 Max, it would be even faster. I will refer to a video that Andrew did, which was a great comparison between the M1, M1 Pro, and M1 Max. They has the spec'd out M1 Max, and then the you know M1 Pro as well. That article and video really shows basically the M1 Pro base model is like twice as fast as the M1, and the M1 Max is like twice as fast as the M1 Pro. <laughs> and so it's kind of an easy tiered speed thing. And so if you want the most speed, yeah, get the M1 Max. If you don't need all that GPU power, the M1 Pro is really great for pretty much everything else. And so that's, I did notice the performance, I did notice a performance improvement and it's like, you know, twice as fast like rendering stuff than my M1. And so, yeah, I'll just refer, watch that video from Andrew and you can see the direct comparison. When it comes to what makes macOS great, I'm going to recommend you try two things and see what you think. One is a clipboard manager. Have you tried a clipboard manager yet? No, that's on my to-do list. So I recommend Pastebot. The makers of Tweetbot, which is a great Twitter app, Tapbots is the developer. Pastebot is what I use. It lives in the menu bar. As I said, you might this might be useful enough to live in the menu bar, but it keeps track of everything that you copy and paste, and you can go back and refer to things. And if you use that for a little while, I find that very useful. Again, one reason, use macOS right there, Pastebot. And I also recommend, I don't know if they have a free trial or not, but Text Expander is an excellent application. I've been using it for a long time where you can kind of do this with keyboard shortcuts and like doing like autocorrect uh, programming. But Text Expander is a powerful application where you can just type a few little snippets of letters or whatever, and you can have it expand into longer strings of text for whatever you want. I recommend just to start, make something like semicolon EM your email address. And then anytime you have to type in your email address, rather than typing out the whole thing, you just hit semicolon EM and it expands your email address instantly and you know it's correct. It's spelled correctly. You don't have any you know, spelling errors because Text Expander is expanding it to the full email address that you had put in the app. So Text Expander, because it's a Mac application, it is system-wide and it works everywhere. If you use Text Expander on iPad, you either have to use their third-party keyboard or some apps support it like Bear, where you can actually use your text expander snippets within the app, but it's not system-wide. And so that's one of the benefits of macOS is you have Pastebot and Text Expander that work system-wide across the whole deal. Yeah, Text Expander is cool. I've used Apple's built-in keyboard shortcut mechanism forever yeah. on iPad and found it to be great. Like I already have several shortcuts for different emoji, uh, for my email address, for getting the Apple Insider URL for specific uh, pages. like. I use it all the time for iPad and it actually carried over to my Mac. So this the entire time I've been using my Mac, I've been using the same uh, keyboard strokes to get all of my quick little uh, keyboard shortcuts. So I, I understand that Text Expander is a much improved version of this and it's something I can definitely look at. But for me, kind of like one password is to Apple passwords, I, it's probably enough to keep using Apple's utility, but I'll definitely try it at the very least. Yeah. And then the last thing I would suggest for you, Wes, but you know, this podcast we're recording right now, if you do it on your Mac, the Mac can use your USB microphone both in Skype and in QuickTime to record all at the same time, which again, absolutely, like, like you were saying, is totally a limitation of iPad OS and Apple could change it in a software update. But 
it's something the Mac can do. Yeah, I'm again, the only reason why I'm recording on my iPad today is because I just didn't want to go through any of the hullabaloo of setting it up. I, I know it would take two seconds. I just, whatever, uh, we already know what works. I didn't want to mess with that just for today's show. Um, maybe maybe next show I'll record on the uh, the MacBook as long as I still have it. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it again. Like, I never hated the Mac. Like, let me be clear. Like, I never didn't have a Mac just, just because I was like, oh, boo, Mac OS, it's 40 years old. But um, it's more like I just... Picking up an iPad, turning it on, going to that home screen, something about it is just nice. And I can't put my finger on it. I've I've asked people to help me explain it on Twitter. It's not something that's like easy to explain. Uh, it's just I really enjoy the whimsy, the uh, use cases, the, the ways that iPad OS makes me think and interact with content. Like when I open a window or some, like an app that requires it to be in full screen, like it, it's I'm focusing on that subject. Whereas Mac OS does have a strength in the fact that I can have 30 things open at once. And that's great. At the same time, it can also not be so great because I can also look at 30 things at once, maybe not do what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> sure. There's there's a lot to play with here. Uh, things that I'm excited about is like universal control. I want to see what that's like. I've been using Sidecar mm. so that I can still have my iPad Pro here um, and use it as another display. It's been handy. It's been very buggy in this macOS release. I've seen people talk about this, um, but when it works, it works really nice. And uh, I like that you can actually go into display settings and adjust where your Sidecar window appears. So my my iPad's actually between my MacBook and my external display, oh. and I'm actually able to set my sidecar window between those two and have the cursor moved between them. So it's it's really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, lots lots of little things here uh, to note. Like uh, again, being able to freely adjust how big a window is in split screen, iPad should be able to do that. the The fact that I can't have full full display mode on an external display is just insane yeah. like honestly if if apple did that tomorrow i would return this macbook like that's really the one one of the bigger reasons why i've even considered keeping this and, and i am considering keeping it like don't get me wrong like uh again if i do keep the macbook it's going to probably stay at my desk this is probably going to be a, a permanent fixture and a, and a macbook instead of a mac because i do travel and i would like to take my work with me so i'm not going to do this with an imac right so that that's why i would still choose a macbook over something like what you would choose like a mac pro or an imac pro yeah. so that's why I, i'm i'm going this route um maybe i'll upgrade like again this one's probably gonna get returned no matter what because i'm gonna probably get a nicer version um might look into the 16 inch i i, I had that before i know they're gargantuan but it, again if it's sitting at my desk it's probably fine that's just kind of where my head's at right now with this thing yeah i need to try several more things because if i'm going to write about it i need to uh <laughs> i need to be able to address all of the pain points of ipad os and believe me i'm aware of them i use it every day <laughs> it's just one of those things where is it enough and that's the question ultimately i'm going to have to ask myself is the things i can do on mac os the things that it's capable of over an ipad enough for me to justify paying upwards of 2500 dollars or more for a macbook right. pro so we'll see and uh I'll tell you guys more in a couple of weeks. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear your your long-term experience with it for sure. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I bid farewell to my M1 MacBook Pros. I traded it in and I'm I'm rocking it now. I'm using it right now. And uh, I'll continue to share my thoughts with it as well. But I'm, I'm very happy with it. Also very curious to see what Apple comes out with in their Pro-level desktops for sure. I'm curious about Mac Mini Pro and iMac Pro. Last thing, as we move on from the MacBook Pro, I just want to say this because I think it's hilarious. That guy who put a USB-C port on his iPhone uh, is now selling it on eBay and the bidding is like 
past $85,000 right now. So if you were wondering whether or not that uh, people want a USB-C port on an iPhone, there's at least people willing to pay thousands of dollars for it. So you have that. I don't understand what I, I, I guess collectible. I guess. It, it doesn't function well. I don't know. It's anyway, I don't know. moving on. <laughs> yeah. I will also put, there was an awesome interview on the Upgrade podcast with Jason Snell and Mike Hurley. They had two Apple executives on their show, Tim Millett and Tom Boger. They talked about the M1 Pro and M1 Max and the development of those chips. And it was a really good interview, kind of seeing some of the behind the scenes information on the development of that. And so I'll put a link to that in show notes if you want to listen to that podcast as well. It was really good. But listeners, let us know what questions you have about the MacBook Pro, AirPods 3, and anything else. You can tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts for the Apple Insider Podcast. That supports the show. And you can even support the show directly with $5 a month, either directly in Apple Podcasts or patreon.com slash Apple Insider. You'll get an ad-free, uninterrupted version of the show, plus early access there. And we also have a private Discord channel where they're going to be posting some stuff in there very soon. You can check that out. And also, don't forget to listen to HomeKit Insider with Andrew O'Hara and myself, where we talk about smart home and home kit products. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's good to be back. We'll catch you next time.